This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It is BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. I'm Rich Bradbury and welcome to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from headlines to the bottom line. And today in Enterprise Explores, the priorities and challenges ahead for the Prime Minister and his new cabinet with former Deputy Minister Dr. Onkian Ming, Director of the Philosophy, Politics and Economics Programme at Taylor's University and business commentator Pankaj Kumar, also from Data Metrics. Research and Information Centre. So just about a month ago, on uh, December the 12th, uh, the Prime Minister announced changes to his cabinet. Five new ministers were appointed to the cabinet and one minister was dropped. The cabinet has been expanded from 28 ministers to 31, with two ministerial portfolios split as we saw the energy transition and digital portfolios separated into their own ministries. We can get into all of these changes a little bit later on, but as a brief refresher, here are some of the key changes we saw that include the appointment of a second finance minister, uh, Datuk Sri Amir Hamza Azizan, the now former CEO of the EPF. Gobind Singh Dio is back in the cabinet as the digital minister. Back in 2018, of course, he was the communications and multimedia minister in the then Pakistan Harapan administration. Johari Abdul Ghani, who was a uh, second finance minister to former prime minister, was appointed as commodities and plantations minister. Zulkifli Ahmad returns to the post of Health Minister, which he was uh, serving from 2018 to 2020. Stephen Sim, uh, up to Deputy, uh, sorry, to Human Resources Minister. Uh, his previous post is now held by Lim Hui Ying, the sister of DAP Chairman and former Finance Minister Lim Guan Eng. DAP's V. Sivakumar was the only minister to be dropped from the administration. 2023 also saw the introduction or launches of various government initiatives, such as the Madani Economic Framework, the National Energy Transitions Roadmap, the new Industrial Master Plan, amongst other things, uh, which this new cabinet will be expected to execute upon. So today, amongst other things, we'll be diving into the key events and policies to keep an eye on this year, uh, what lessons the government should take from the PADU launch, and which ministries and ministers uh, will be in the spotlight this year along with what their KPIs should be. If you have any thoughts, you can get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number at 018-789-8899, or you can get us on X, of course, we are at BFM Radio. And as mentioned, here in the studio with me, it is Pankaj Kumar and, of course, Dr. Onkian Ming. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. How are you both? I'm good. COVID-free, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, I'm good too. So far, so good, right? Yeah. Okay, um, let, let's not mess around then. So, um, Ken Ming, let's start with you. Briefly, take us uh, through some of the key events and dates that uh, you're paying attention to this year. And give us some of the key headlines and uh, we'll dive into the details a little bit later on. Sure. Uh, I'll give a couple of dates, Some three dates. Some may be uh, you know, something that people are looking out for, others may not be. The first one is the 31st of January, 2024. Uh, that is the installation date for the new Agong, the Sultan of Johor. Uh, the second date I'm looking at is the 10th of May, 2024, uh, which is the retirement of the current chairman or pengurusi of the Elections Commission. So you have to appoint a new new commissioner and that will have implications on the delimitation exercise mm. and so on and so forth. And then the 31st of May, 2024 would be the date to mark the 50th anniversary of Malaysia-China relations. Okay. So there will be a lot of events leading up to that in terms of uh, bilateral relationship. Okay. Pankaj? Well, I think there are more than that. 
<laughs> First of all, I think this week itself, we are going to see the signing of the MOU uh, between Malaysia and Singapore uh, on the special economic zone. Yeah, So I think that is a key event as far as market is looking mm. uh, because we got to identify uh, where and what is all about mm. Yeah, as, mm. far, as far as the special economic zone is concerned. Uh, and of course... Key events other than the economic numbers, yeah, we also have Bank Nagara's meeting later this month, and of course that will follow through, uh, you know, entirely throughout the year mm. in terms of uh, monetary policy meetings, and of course uh, the fourth quarter GDP number will be out soon. Yeah, probably the uh, early release will be maybe early February, mm. I suppose, or maybe late January, and of course I think there are other things that we have introduced under the budget last year, uh, which of course includes the implementation of the sales and service tax yep. from 6 to 8%. Yep. I think that takes effect on 1st of March. Uh, we have the progressive wage model yeah, that has been talked about. And I think a pilot is about to be introduced maybe by June this year, uh, starting with 1,000 companies. And of course, we already have the low value good tax and capital gains tax kicking in mm. uh, starting this year. And I think much talked about uh, recently has been about the subsidy rationalization, mm -hmm. uh, starting with the PADU program, yeah, uh, in terms of getting people registered and verifying themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that is another critical milestone, uh, you know, for the journey for this mm -hmm. year uh, before we actually implement uh, the subsidy rationalization. And I think other than that, looking at impact, perhaps maybe to a certain extent, whether it's politically or economically or markets, uh, could be also global um, elections. There are so many elections going on around the world. I was going to say that earlier on when I was talking to the two of you in the, in, in the kitchen. It's, it, I feel a bit left out, you know. Everywhere else seems to be having elections, apart yeah. from Malaysia. India, this, Indonesia, you know, yeah, the UK, right? yeah. 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 Taiwan, US, as US well. yes, yeah. Taiwan, yeah. Okay, um, uh, I, I think we're going to speak a little bit about the uh, special economic zone a little bit later on. Uh, but of course... We have to speak about Padu, of course. Uh, you might have been familiar with this topic, Kian Ming. Padu, what's that? <laughs> what's that? Right. So, uh, obviously, um, it's made headlines, of course. It started off with a, a bit of a rough note. Uh, what lessons, this sounds like such a simple question, but obviously a very complicated answer. What lessons should the government learn about this? Uh, and what should the new cabinet be taking away from? Sure. Uh, I think three lessons. Mm. Uh, the first lesson is that in the rollout of any system that requires mass participation, we should stress test it. Uh, you know, pen test, penetration test, those kind of things. Uh, second lesson is that you should consult the experts. It's good that Rafizi tried to do this in-house with the civil servants and to, to increase their capacity. Uh, but there are many experts, you know, and, and including people from PCOM who said that, you know, we're willing to come in to do pro bono kind of uh, uh, consulting advice. And then the third thing is don't work in silos mm. uh, because it's not just one ministry. It should involve the entire government. And mm. I think if, let's say, the government wants to learn from this, uh, it should implement these kinds of lessons if when it rolls out the national digital ID mm -hmm. for the mass market. Yeah, I think it's a very critical step as far as the subsidy rationalization program is concerned. And failure is not an option to me. Yeah, and we have to make sure that whatever database that we are creating is secure, you know, foolproof, and the government is able to capitalize on it to actually carry out mm. uh, the program that it intends to. 
you know, I think you got to take the matter seriously. Uh, otherwise, it can backfire on the government too, you know, and opposition will always be jumping on the government mm. if if the implementation is not carried out effectively. What are your thoughts on... on uh, there are people out there who would... You know whose opinion is let's just get it out first, just to show that we're doing something. You know, what's your thought on that? Yeah, break things and uh, move yeah, fast, is yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, I read a HBR Harvard Business Review article on in twenty nineteen, uh, saying that you know it, that kind of uh, method is actually uh, outdated, uh, and more importantly, I think that the government is not a startup. Right, you're not running in vogue, uh, so you should definitely do the due diligence uh, before you roll out this system mm. and then to fix something that's so rudimentary, such as security uh, loopholes. And I think the major thing here is that once you've rolled it out in a way that does not give the public confidence, people are not going to sign up, no mm. matter what you try to do to cover it up later. Confidence has always been a bit sketchy, though, when it comes to data protection here in Malaysia. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think you have seen the numbers. You have seen reports yeah, yeah. stating about how how easy it is yeah, mm. to get data leaks and don't know what not. So definitely... How many, how many did we have last year? You know, let, let's be honest. Yeah, quite a number of government yeah. agencies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I think the, the, the level of trust uh, is important. And with the PADU uh, things being, being rolled out, uh, there is a concern whether in the first place where people are going to register or not, you know, uh, to verify themselves uh, within the system. Mm. I mean, so far, I, I saw the number about half a million so far, and they have up to 31st March to get everyone yeah. on board. Yeah. yeah. So let's see uh, whether we reach this, the, the target. Okay, let's take a short break here, uh, folks. I'm in the studio, of course, with Dr. Uh, De- uh, former Deputy Minister Dr. Ong Kian Ming, Director of Philosophy, Politics, and Economics uh, Program at Taylor's University, and of course, uh, Pankaj Kumar, Business Commentator, and from uh, Data Metrics Research and Information Centre. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Of course, you're listening to the All New Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. We'll be back in just a few moments here on BFM. 89.9 The Business Station Budding Fresh Ministers BFM 89.9 The Business Station BFM 89.9 The Business Station Edwin Collins with the girl like you there of course here on Enterprise Explores Welcome back It's the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Of course, I'm Rich Bradbury. We are exploring the priorities and challenges ahead uh, for the Prime Minister's new uh, cabinet. I'm in the studio with former Deputy Deputy Minister Dr. Ong Kian Ming, Director of Philosophy, Politics and Economics uh, program at Taylor's University. And of course, Pankaj Kumar. Uh, They've been sat patiently here with me in the studio. Uh, A few things that we need to speak about, of course. Uh, there were plenty of uh, government plans and blueprints launched in 2023. Uh, we mentioned some earlier, the Madani uh, Economic Framework, the 12th Malaysia Plan, the National Energy Transitions Roadmap, the new Industrial Master Plan, uh, not to mention the subsidy rationalizations uh, and the recent launch of the PADU database. So this year really is about um, execution, you might say. What are some of the key policy areas that you're both watching closely this year and why? Let's start with you, Pankaj. I think it is about execution, as you rightly pointed out. And I mean, if you take the quote of Benjamin Franklin, a famous quote, by, falling, by failing to plan, you are preparing to fail. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I would to like fail. to add, to fail. But I would like to, add uh, to the comment, uh, maybe planning is just on paper. Mm. Execution is actually really key. Mm. Yeah. Uh, also, we had 
many lofty targets yeah, from various policies that we introduced last year. And I think just to perhaps recap some of them include, of course, some of them are a bit long term. Uh, the budget deficit target of 3% or below, mm. uh, income share to GDP, 45% uh, to reduce. Rate share. Rate share, yeah. yeah. Uh, Malaysian Corruption Perception Index, mm. yeah, uh, to be top 25. Yeah, so these are very big targets. Yeah. And of course, it takes time to achieve them and they mm. are actually long-term targets. Mm. But execution, we got to start this year. Mm. We got to start somewhere. Yeah, before before we can see whether there is a progress mm. uh, for us to reach those targets. Mm. So to me, 2024, it's about execution. Um, I mean, the government has been in power for more than a year now. Uh, 2023, we didn't see much, but it was more about rolling out those policies. But 2024 is about delivering. Are you confident? Well, I'm optimistically confident. Uh, and I'm hoping that it will uh, happen. Right. Ken Meng? Uh, I think... Execution is key, and I'm uh, because I'm a politician, so I'm you know uh, much more short-term thinking. <laughs> so uh, a couple of uh, things that I'm looking out for would be uh, firstly, show me the money. Right. Uh, the budget was announced in 2023, and having been in government, I know that uh, there's always a process of discussion between the various ministries and also the Ministry of Finance on how the budget details are going to be executed. You mentioned the the new industrial master plan 2030. 200 million was allocated in the budget under development expenditure. So I want to see what are the details. Mm. How is it going to be executed? How much is it going to be given to SMEs? How much is it going to be given to the industry ESG process and programs and so on and so forth? So mm. that's just one example. Mm. I think the other thing that I'm looking out for uh, in terms of policy execution would be uh, the subsidy rationalization in the diesel area first. Uh, so this is uh, something. Why, why specifically that? Uh, because that was announced in the budget. Right. Yeah. Uh, on in terms of the withdrawal of the petrol subsidies, right. that wasn't in the budget. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, emphasized by Rafizi quite a bit uh, as part and parcel of the Padu rollout. Uh, but if you notice, uh, the Prime Minister has been a little bit more quiet on that. Mm. So, you know, we want to see a successful rollout of the diesel uh, rationalization first. And then only later we see uh, to what extent is there political will to do the same for the uh, petrol subsidy. Mm. Pankaj, of course, you mentioned earlier on uh, much talk about the uh, Johor Singapore Economic Zone. Is this something... Um I'm using that word again, both optimistic about. Uh, and if so, how, how would you like to see this executed upon? Well, I think, first of all, we are going to enter into an MOU yeah, uh, between us and Singapore. Mm. And I think what the uh, industry or marketplace are looking at is basically the location yeah. of SEZ. Yeah? Uh, of course, there's been some discussion or some uh, Um, speculation speculation <laughs> that uh, Iskandar Malaysia is going to be but to me Iskandar Malaysia is so huge it's 2200 uh, square kilometers yeah so i think it needs to be a bit more specific mm. uh, but i think more importantly is for it what it means yeah in terms of with this MOU how does how does it bring the win to win win situation for both Malaysia and Singapore mm. i mean effectively what we want uh, Johor has its advantages in terms of land yeah. and in terms of cost of doing business. Yeah. Uh, Singapore has the capacity in terms of, you know, to fund all these things. Uh, and how do we, you know, uh, capture both mm. and to make sure that we are able to roll out uh, uh, workable and um, something that uh, can be executed. 
I think yeah, that's find the key. win-win solutions, right? Yeah. Okay, I mean, what do you think is the win-win solution then? Uh, I am less optimistic about the MOU, uh, although I'm quite excited about the SEZ itself. Yeah. Uh, the reason why is because the MOU, which is going to be signed later this week, uh, only outlines the parameters of uh, possible cooperation. Uh, unlike Pankaj, I actually think that is Iskandar de- uh, development region is actually not big enough. I think it should include the whole of Johor so that you can capture the different advantages uh, of the uh, different geographic areas of Johor. Mm. Uh, and I think the reason why, uh, you know, I, I would want to push for a faster timeline rather than just an MOU specifying, you know, what studies we need to do for the next six months is that uh, we need to push for, uh, firstly, fresh ideas. And we want to, uh, we want these kinds of fresh ideas to come, whether it's uh, in terms of, uh, you know, doing better physical connectivity, digital connectivity or people to people connectivity. The second thing that we want to see is fast execution. Mm. We've talked about this just now. And then the third area is fruitful collaborations, whereby we get the private sector to come in as well. It, it can't be just a G2G arrangement. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be looking out for the MOU, but don't put too much hope that there will be a lot of details in there. Mm. Okay, so let's uh, move on to the, the reshuffle then. Um, of course, back in December, there were some major changes announced, uh, including the appointment of the EPF's uh, CEO, uh, Hamza Azizan, as second finance minister, uh, uh, Stephen Sim from deputy finance minister to human resources minister, bringing back Gobind Singh into the cabinet to uh, helm the newly formed digital ministry. Now, with how they've reshuffled and, and moved people around, uh, what do you think this kind of tells us about the government's key focuses for this year? Pankaj, you go first since I know these, these guys well. <laughs> okay, okay, let me do that. I think we got to look at the, uh, in a wider scope, first of all, yeah. Yeah? Uh, as to what the government intends to achieve uh, with this reshuffling. Uh, the finance portfolio, of course, is sensitive uh, and clearly the most important portfolio. Uh, but logically, I would prefer Datu Sri Anwar to relinquish uh, his position as Minister of Finance. Yeah? A CEO should not be a CFO. Yeah, so I think it'd be better if we have a full finance mm. minister. Mm. Uh, I think that there was an article you wrote uh, sometime that you felt quite strongly about this. Yeah, right? correct, yeah. correct. Uh, no, so just to clarify, there is that uh, Amir is a full finance minister. He's just the second finance second minister. Second finance minister. Yes, correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. But again, Datuk Sri Anwar is still the finance minister itself. Sure. Yeah, finance so minister one. One. Yeah, yeah correct. Uh, but of course, I think with the appointment of Dr. Sri uh, Amir Hamza, uh, maybe the administration is basically signaling, yeah, uh, we are putting someone who's neutral mm. uh, to make sure things can be done, you know, mm. and in a way, not political at the same time. And yeah. also less busy. Maybe. Yeah, correct, correct. <laughs> Probably less busy. I mean, he has a work, his work cut out for him, yeah, in terms, uh, you look at the numbers, Dr. Ong talked about, you know, show me the money, mm. yeah, so mm. this year is about execution. Mm. You got to make sure that you are able to generate the revenue that you want, control your expenses, OPEX, as well as rolling out your development expenditure plans. And I think if you look at the larger picture uh, in terms of uh, tax reforms, I think that's another area that we should look at. And Dr. Amir coming from EPF, uh, the other area that he perhaps be looking at is is revamping our pension system Mm. Yeah, as well. Uh, We're talking about universal pension as well. And I think the other thing people have been talking about, and I agree, um, moving civil servants away from the pension scheme towards the EPF scheme, mm. you know, especially for new hires. Mm. I think that could be one area 
the finance minister too can look at, and I think he should be perhaps uh, more interested in that area. Uh, other than that, we saw some other changes. Yeah, uh, maybe the HR ministry is, ministry is also important. Uh, having looked at Malaysia's troubles with foreign workers and don't know what not, I think this is something that Malaysia should mm. focus on. And of course, uh, on the split of having a digital minister, I suppose it's more about focus and attention, uh, perhaps related to AI and digital uh, arena that we are moving towards. Uh, so perhaps, uh, and of course, the other thing is that Malaysia is quite focused uh, in the area of data centers. Yeah, so perhaps this could be one way uh, mm. to show uh, Malaysia's commitment uh, to grow the uh, data centers. Okay. Keming, you graciously gave over to Pankaj there. Uh, come on, let's see what you've actually sure. got to say. <laughs> yeah. You've been sat there waiting. You know? Yeah, sure. I'll also add a couple of other tax-related issues with regards to the second finance minister. Mm. Uh, you know, the introduction of the global minimum tax uh, was postponed from 2024 to 2025. Uh, I think part of the reason was because uh, Dato Sri Anwar was too busy. Uh, and I think it's a good thing, you know, so we need to iron out the details before we can roll it out. Uh, and then also with regards to streamlining some of the FDI-related incentives, uh, including, for example, the rollout of the global uh, uh, business service uh, tax of 5 to 10%. All these are the devil in the details that foreign investors are looking at. Mm. Uh, so that's one. Uh, secondly, with regards to the Ministry of uh, Human Resources, uh, I'm very optimistic about this appointment. I think uh, Stephen Sim is somebody who's very creative, who's very on the ground, uh, who's also very good at conveying his uh, messages to the la larger public. And we've seen him uh, on the ground already in terms of talking to the Ministry of Home Affairs with regards to these Bangladeshi workers who mm. cheated, came here, promised jobs, but yeah. many of them yeah. didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, so I think this is part and parcel of the larger challenge he has to face. One of the things that previous government has tried to do uh, but couldn't is to introduce some sort of a multi-tiered levy for foreign workers. Uh, and this requires coordination between the Ministry of Human Resources and also the Ministry of Home Affairs. Um, what Pankaj said just now with regards to the rollout of a of a test scheme for the progressive minimum wage, uh, progressive wage model. Uh, that's also something that's quite challenging because uh, what Rafizi left Stephen with was uh, just a framework, not that much details. Uh, and then maybe lastly, I think uh, you know the digital economy under Gobin. I think this is a ministry that has a lot of potential, uh, not just in terms of data centers uh, and also other issues that Pankaj talked about, but as a ministry to coordinate different initiatives to do with the digital economy. Me. Mm. I hope that the digital national digital ID project can be parked under this ministry. I hope that this ministry can also be more uh, aggressive in terms of uh, pushing cloud policies, including pushing more government services and government data to be out on the cloud so that we can invigorate the private sector to get onto this, uh, this platform and also to get foreign uh, players to be part and parcel mm. of this system. Uh, and also, I think, um, you know, finally, with regards to the to the digital economy framework, would be introducing government innovations, uh, whether it's through Mampu or whether it's through this new unit uh, that was established last year called GovTech Malaysia. I think if let's say all these initiatives and agencies can be parked under Gobin, it will be a very interesting proposition. And also maybe two others, My Digital uh, that coordinates different digital policies across ministries, uh, and finally. 
digital national bahad. You're giving him enough there by the sound. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to keep him busy. Uh, uh, Gobin is a very capable guy. He'll be able to do this a lot of these things and more. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, we we'll need to take another short break, of course. Um, folks, if you do have anything you want to get in touch with, uh, let us know via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number 0187898899. You can also get us on X. We are at BFM Radio. Of course, you are listening to the all-new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line, and we are exploring the priorities and challenges ahead uh, for the new cabinet. We'll be right back after these messages here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Building Future Malaysia, BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back. I'm Rich Bradbury. That was The Jam with In The City. Of course, it is Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Of course, we are exploring the priorities and challenges ahead uh, for the new cabinet. Of course, still with me here in the studio is Dr. Onkian Ming and, of course, our business commentator, Pankaj Kumar. We had um, some interesting stuff to talk about earlier on. One of the things things uh, I, I want to bring up is following on from some of the former uh, points earlier on that we've discussed. Um, and you mentioned, uh, uh, Dr. Ong, um, Gobin, you want to pile a whole bunch of stuff to Gobin. But, but <laughs> not, not just that. Uh, 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 what do you think um, the idea is, uh, or rather, how do you think the business community has responded uh, to the reshuffle? I think the business community is relieved that that is true. I know I appointed a second finance minister right. uh, because many of those uh, in the business community knows that a lot of things were stuck at MOF. Mm. Uh, so hopefully uh, those issues would slowly get uh, unstuck or unclogged. Uh, I think the business community was also quite relieved to see, happy to see Dr. Zul come back as health minister, uh, given some of the challenges uh, in th- that particular ministry with the generational endgame. But prob- probably uh, not that uh, you know assured by the fact that Perhaps some ministers that they would have perceived to be uh, not so well performing still maintain their positions. Uh, I don't want to say who they are, but oh come <laughs> on, <laughs> I'll leave that to Pankaj. You know. So I, I think all in all, uh, you know, quite uh, you know cautious of optimism, but yeah. uh, we'll have to see the execution in twenty twenty four. All right. Well, I, I agree with Dr. Ong. I think it's neutral to positive in my mind for the business community. Uh, while the size has increased, uh, but putting the right person in the right box. Yeah, uh, could have been better. Yeah, for example, I think we have now a minister in the prime minister's department who is in charge of federal territory. Uh, but sadly, the person is not an uh, MP from federal territory itself. You mm. know, so that makes things a bit difficult mm. to understand issues mm. uh, faced by you know uh, people in the federal territory. Uh, I think the appointment of Dr. Zulkifli was uh, was was good as health minister. Um, and of course, the appointment of Dr. Tri Johari as well as Minister of Plantation and Commodities too, I think is welcome. Uh, there's also an interesting swapping uh, between uh, ministers from AMNO, yeah, uh, on on certain portfolios. But I wouldn't want to read too much into it. Uh, I think there's been some talk about it. Uh, why is the reason behind? I think this? that's for a different show, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I think in general, it's it's more than what. Most people thought because yeah. the earlier uh, uh, pressure was just to replace 
Datuk Salahuddin Ayub's uh, position. Yeah, minor yeah. cabinet reshuffle. Yeah, minor. Yeah, so mm. it became a bit more than that, mm. really. So I think, uh, in a way, uh, it was done before 2024 started. So perhaps it's a good start for the year. Uh, for the cabinet to start working, yeah, for the people. Now, obviously, with this reshuffle, who do you think, or, or, and which which ministers and which ministries do you think are, are going to be really under the spotlight for this year? Pankaj, let's let's. Well, I think the economic minister will be in the spotlight uh, yeah, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> but he's already in the spotlight. Now. He's already <laughs> in the spotlight. Yeah. Finance, no doubt. Yes. Yeah, digital. I think, as Doctor Ong mentioned, is going to be interesting. Miti is forever you know, interesting as well. Mm. So I would say there's no real specific in terms of uh, uh, everybody's going to be busy, yeah. uh, but specifically some others will be more busy than others. Yeah. Yeah, and the uh, Prime Minister has announced this morning that he expects, uh, you know, monthly reports, report cards from the different uh, KSUs, the, the uh, you know, the, the Secretary Generals from each ministry. So, you know, I, I only hope that those report cards can be published so that we can see that what they nice, are. That would be nice, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are these report cards something new, perhaps? Uh, I, I think for METI, uh, it's not something new. Uh, mm. it, and I think I'm very encouraged by the fact that the Minister Tengku Zafrul has announced that they will be publishing quarterly reports mm. uh, on the update of the rollout of the new industrial master plan. Mm. Uh, so that would be one KPI that I will be monitoring very closely. I'm sure the industry... We'll also be looking at that very carefully. And that may set a benchmark for the rollout of some of the other plans as well. Uh, okay, last last question then. Uh, um, in, in your opinions, of course, how much has this reshuffle been driven by policy needs rather than political uh, needs and and Pankaj, you, you know, you, you saw some. Re- yeah, yeah, I think I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think Datuk Sri Anwar perhaps uh, wanted to strengthen the cabinet. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, going into the year, and the year twenty twenty four is going to be a year of execution, uh, with all the plans that have been rolled out earlier. Mm. Yeah, uh, Datuk Sri Anwar got to deliver. Yeah. You know? and if he doesn't, then you know the opposition is just waiting behind the curtains and you know we have so so much of talk about this move and that move yeah so chalk it move move, yeah so we got to be careful yeah Yeah, next next day you know so i think at the end of it if you are the government at the end of it if you are able to deliver you're able to lift up the economic uh profile of people raise wages people are happy you know you'll be voted in again how much do you think of this was kind of the game plan originally and how much do you think this is something you know adjustment yeah yeah Uh balancing act all balancing act along the way yeah uh you know i think the assumption is that there will not be any cabinet reshuffles for the next two years. Uh, but uh, I've learned in Malaysian politics, uh, you know, in this day and age, never say never. Uh, and I started uh, the conversation with saying that the Sultan of Johor's appoint, uh, you know, inst- installation as Agung would be something that many people will look out for. Uh, so to what extent will he uh, want to also have his own say in terms of policy issues uh, and perhaps appointment issues? I think that would be quite interesting. Mm-mm. Any final thoughts before we go? Uh, well, look out for the implementation issues uh, along the way. It's not just Padu that I think the public is looking out for and I think uh, the government has its work cut out for it. I think other than just implementation and execution, it's also about the economic numbers Yeah, going into this year. Uh, forecast is that Malaysia will register GDP growth of 4.5%. And of course, uh, I think market will be looking at it in terms of whether the government is able to deliver uh, that growth number. Mm. Uh, what's happening outside Malaysia is also key. Uh, we have geopolitical risks uh, and not to mention potential slowdown in the US. Uh, China is another factor. Yeah, So all these will play out 
uh, into the year. All right. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me here on the show this afternoon. Folks, I've been speaking with former Deputy Minister Dr. Ong Kian Ming, Director of Philosophy, Politics and Economics Program at Taylor's University. And of course, Pankaj Kumar, he is the Managing Director of Data Metrics Research and Information Center. Uh, if you missed any part of this show, don't forget you can download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. I recommend using the BFM app that's available from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You have been listening to the all-new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Now, of course, looking ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay coming up after the one o'clock news. Uh, 2023 was a year of divergence for Asian markets as Hong Kong and Thailand sank with China while Japan, Taiwan and India soar. We spoke with Chris Liu, the CIO of Asia Pacific of Principal Asset Management and uh, the head of regional equity research for Maybank Investing Banking Group, where they are bullish on this year and the outlook for the FBM KLCI. That's all coming up after the one o'clock news. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'll be back same time, same place tomorrow here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.